0: we're good today we look at the fourth church Tyatira in our series entitled seven pictures in this series what we're trying to accomplish is to paint a picture of how God's people will live, what they will endure uh, how they will believe, uh, how they will practice those beliefs in the last days Of earth's history. From the letter to the church in Ephesus, we we saw a picture of a church that had become so focused uh, on on the rules that they had become legalistic and forgot about their witness, their passion for Jesus and their love for Jesus to share with others. From the letter to the church in Smyrna, we saw a church that the the picture is one of of economic persecution that, that is going to come in the last days that God's people are going to experience this persecution, And from the letter to the church in Pergamum, we see Jesus is calling His people to be committed to the Word of God. We specifically recognize that, that, that if we are going to be a people in the last days committed to the Word of God, that we must spend time consistently and daily in the Bible in order to know the Bible, to stand for the truth that is in the Bible. And today we move to the church of Thyatira. In this letter, it is very similar. There are many similarities to the Church of Pergamum, but we're going to come at it from a different angle because there's different aspects to it. Thyatira is considered by pretty much all the scholars to be the most insignificant of the cities uh, that were received this letter or the churches that received this letter um, from Jesus in these seven churches. But this letter is also the longest letter that Jesus writes to any of the churches. The size or significance of the city or the church were not in the Lord's purview. Rather, the issues that they were dealing with is what he was addressing. It is a fact that the best way to understand the book of Revelation is to understand the rest of the Bible. Now, that may seem obvious, but it is in the case of Revelation so true because so much of Revelation is, is made up of allusions and, and references to other parts of Scripture. And, and more specifically, the best way to understand the book of Revelation is to understand the Old Testament. And so I want to invite you at this time to turn to the book of 1 Kings and chapter 21 because that's where we're going to begin to give us some some underlay to the issues that Tyatira was facing. And while you are turning to 1 Kings chapter 21, I am going to read Revelation chapter 3, or from Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to read the first part of the letter to Tyatira. So you go ahead and turn to 1 Kings chapter 21, and I'm going to quickly reference, uh, uh, read to you, Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Titira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now you should know that this language is from the book of Daniel and it is judgment language. It is a scene of judgment, of, of God assessing what is going on in the world. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed The first, so there's some positive things happening here, but I have this against you that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now, I want us to now look at 1 Kings. And the reason why I want us to look at 1 Kings is we're going to read a story about a queen, or we're going to reference a story about a queen, a queen in Israel's history. Uh, They were still God's chosen people at that time. They were still, uh, in many ways, a theocracy. God established the the kings. Uh, They were still people that were to be led by, by prophets or guided by the prophets, I should say. And the queen that we're going to read about is Queen Jezebel. There is not much debate about this. Most people do not believe the woman in the book of Revelation that is referred to as Jezebel was actually named Jezebel, but rather God was wanting to, to reference what was happening in Tyatira with the historical figure Jezebel of the Old Testament. So, so, so we read the stories about Jezebel in the Old Testament in 1 Kings and 2 Kings to understand better what was happening in the context of the church in Tyre, And so in 1 Kings chapter 21, and I'll begin in verse 1, mine's titled Naboth's Vineyard. But 1 Kings chapter 21, beginning in verse 21. Now Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is near my house and I will give you a better vineyard for it or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value and money. But Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab, the Bible tells us, went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezre- Jezreelite has said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. There is a lot written in the Bible about the importance of land, the importance of inheritance, the rights that people had to their land and to their parents' inheritance, and the importance of passing on that inheritance from one generation to the next generation. We won't get into all those things, but if you read in, in, in the book of Deuteronomy, in the book of Leviticus, you see many of these laws and these and these guidance, these, these guideposts by God laid out about how to treat people and their land. And so Naboth was well within his rights to even refuse the king to give him his land. The king couldn't claim eminent domain as now some governmental powers can do. And so Naboth said, no, this is my family's inheritance and I will not give it to you. Well, as we read, the answer bothered the king. The king, the Bible tells us, became sullen. He began to pout. And King Ahab's wife, who is named Jezebel, observed what was going on with her husband. She took notice of him pouting. And if we go to verse five, we read this. Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, this is to Ahab, why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, give me your vineyard for money or else. If it please you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And listen to Jezebel's answer. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So what did Jezebel do? Well, if you read the rest of the story, what Jezebel did was she circumvented God's laws. She circumvented moral decency, she circumvented respect for humanity to achieve her goal, to to achieve what she desired in life. She falsified directions from her husband. She wrote letters in her husband's name and sent them to several people, asking them to falsify reports against Naboth. And so these regional leaders did that. They brought charges against Naboth. Naboth. These charges ultimately led to Naboth being stoned to death. This is what was the result of Jezebel's circumvention. And in verse 15, we pick it up, the story. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, like it was a bright, sunny thing, Ahab, arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth and the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive, but dead. And the Bible tells us, And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. This is just one story about Jezebel, but it is indicative of who she was was. I don't know if people still say this, but when I was a kid, you would sometimes hear people say, she's such a Jezebel or you're such a Jezebel. And it, it was not meant as a compliment. It meant you were a deceiver. It meant that you were uh, uh, manipulative. It meant that you were, were, were an adulteress or, or against someone else. She is such a Jezebel. This was who she was, though. She was a deceiver. She was a manipulator. Even though Israel was God's kingdom and she was the king, queen in God's kingdom, and even though Israel was still in many ways a theocracy, and even though Israel had living prophets, Jezebel's mode of leadership, her her way of operating was to ask, what do I want? What do I believe is most advantageous for me? And and when what she or her husband wanted or desired or if, if the way they wanted to live conflicted with God's ways, Jezebel circumvented God's ways to get what she wanted. She went around God's truths and God's practices to get what she wanted. And we saw that in the story of Naboth. Now let's go back to the book of Revelation once again. Revelation chapter two and verse 20. Revelation chapter two and verse 20. Let's read this again. But I have this against you. This is what Jesus is saying to the church in Tyatira. That you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. In other words, she's saying, I'm a leader of God's people just as Jezebel was a leader of God's people, you call yourself a prophetess, and she is teaching and seducing my servants to, to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols? Why was Jezebel teaching God's people to do things that were specifically against God's will? And why were the people tolerating? Such teachings. Was it to destroy the church? No. It was because in order to have what they wanted, compromise was necessary. It was not to destroy the church. In fact, the church was doing many good things, but, but, but it was to, in order to have what they wanted, compromise was necessary. Tyatira was known for their trade guilds what we would likely compare and they're obviously not the exact same but but we would compare nowadays as as work unions as unions these guilds helped to support various areas of commerce they helped to support various classes of workers weavers and and bricklayers and and woodworkers and 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 stonemason and other such work guilds these these guilds were important to the city of Thyatira. And to function at the optimal level, to, to fully be integrated into that city, in that society, it was believed that you needed to be part of one of these guilds, these trade guilds. The only problem was that much of what happened around these guilds and in connection with these guilds went against the beliefs of the Christians, just like so much in that society Much of of the secular world was connected also to religious ideas. And so and so these guilds would have their gatherings and there would be immoral practices within the context of their gatherings. But the Christians wanted to fit in. They wanted to, to operate and to operate at the optimal level within that society. And so, led by this lady, who in the Bible is referred to as Jezebel who claimed to be a prophetess, who claimed to be an individual speaking on behalf of God, she was teaching the people a way to circumvent the truths of God. She was saying, it's okay if we do these things. Right in the church and openly teaching these things, it's okay if we do these things. She was saying, you can participate in the trade guilds. You can participate in these activities and God is okay with it. Just as in the Old Testament, uh, Jezebel led the priests of God to follow after other gods in 1 Kings chapter 18, and just as she led others to circumvent God's direction and instruction on the ownership of land in 1 Kings chapter 20, and there's other stories about Jezebel as well, this same spirit was, was in that church. And Jezebel was teaching similar compromise. She didn't disturb, discourage them from doing a lot of good for the Lord. What does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that in the verse just prior to verse 20, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patience, endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Your latter works exceed the first. They were actually witnesses and we maybe would put that in parentheses, for Jesus. This church is, in many ways, it seems like the exact opposite of Ephesus. Remember, Ephesus was so focused inwardly on obedience to God that they they become legalistic and they were no longer passionate, loving, caring witnesses for God. The Tyre Tyre church was fine they were going out and, and maybe even talking about Jesus and doing good things for people and, and serving the community, but, but internally they were compromised on what they believe. It's a reminder to us that Satan doesn't care what ditch he gets us in as long as he gets us in one of the ditches. William Barclay says this about just such churches, specifically referencing Tyatira. He says, here is a warning A church which is crowded with people and which is a hive of energy is not necessarily a real church. It is possible for a church to be crowded because its people come to be entertained instead of instructed, to be soothed instead of confronted with the fact of sin and the offer of salvation. It may be a highly successful Christian club rather than a real Christian congregation. Jezebel was not trying to disband their church. She was not trying to stop them from even doing good things. She was teaching them that it is okay to compromise your beliefs as long as you are still seen as good in the world. She was teaching them that it was okay to circumvent the laws of God if it meant that you could have a better relationship with the territory, the city, the world around you. This is not just my interpretation of this. Listen to what some commentators say about Tyatira. Leon Morris who wrote actually quite a, a, a somewhat liberal commentary from Tyndale Publishers. The prophetess and her followers had been so ready to conform to the practices of their heathen neighbors that they had lost sight of the essential Christian position. They had exalted expediency over principle. Michael Wilcock who wrote on the book of revelation for John Stott's commentary series Satan uses the pressures of the world to squeeze this church into its own into the world's mold. Ronko Stefanovich, a professor of Andrews University writes this, "The prophetess openly taught and promoted compromise with the world's standards and she did it with great success and for most of the co- and with great success, for most of the congregation followed her seductive teaching. Only a minority who are referred to as the remaining ones had not succumbed to her persuasive influence and had remained faithful to the true gospel. And then finally, Sig Tonsted, a professor at Loma Linda University, makes the following statement. The Bible portrays the reign of Jezebel and Ahab as a period of religious erosion, to the point that, that Yahwehism, in other words, belief in God, was in danger of becoming a pagan religion. Tonstead then asked the following question. Are believers in Thyatira similarly, similarly at risk? And I would ask the question, are we in 2020 similarly at risk? Are we similarly at risk? risk of trying to be too much like the world, of, of being willing to compromise and, and circumvent the teachings of God and the, the laws of God to, to fit in with the broader society, of, of trusting more in the, in the happenings of the world than in the power of God. Some of you will remember hearing the following two words growing up. You'll remember hearing this and, and being taught this and told that this is who you were to be. The words are peculiar people. This is what Adventists used to refer to themselves as on a regular basis. By the way, let me say, I'm getting my doctorate at a Baptist seminary and I've been sitting in some of the lectures at times, and I've heard them refer to themselves as a peculiar people and people of the book. And I said, hey, that's what Adventists are. That's the Seventh-day Adventists. And they agreed with me. They said, you are indeed peculiar, Chad. They they thought that was true. But we do not have a corner market or patent on those phrases. Other people have used them as well. The reason is, is because this phrase, Peculiar people comes from the following Bible passage, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. And I'm going to read it to you in the King James Version because that is where it comes from. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Over the years, Adventists, and understandably in some ways, had tried to move away from the idea of being peculiar because we didn't like all the ways that it was applied. And it was applied in some peculiar, unique, and non-biblical ways. But here is what peculiar actually means in a biblical context. It means simply this. We are not guided by nor governed by the wisdom and opinions of the world. Peculiar doesn't mean that you look weird, that you act weird, that you're, that you're uncomfortable in public settings or society. Peculiar doesn't mean that you don't have any associations with the, the world beyond the church. Peculiar means that we are not guided by or governed by the wisdom or, and opinions of the world. Or more succinctly, It means to live like Jesus. It means to live like Jesus. That's what it means to be peculiar. From Ellen White, written in the Adventist Review, then known as the Review and Herald, a long, long time ago, she wrote this. As we read the word of God, how plain that God's people are peculiar and distinct from the unbelieving world around them. Our position is interesting and fearful, living in the last days. How important that we imitate the example of Christ and walk even as he walked. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The opinions and wisdom of men must not guide or govern us. They always lead away from the cross. You ought to be different from the world, which means to be like Jesus in belief, and in action is really important for us in this day and age. It means that we don't live as Jezebel's. Jezebel looked at a situation and she said, this is God's law, this is God's kingdom, this is God's direction, but you know what? I'm gonna circumvent it because it doesn't fit with what I want. It doesn't fit with my ways or or what will adapt me most to society. The church of Tyatiro is similarly experiencing something. If we, want to optum, if we want to operate at the most optimal level within this community that we live in, then we have to circumvent some of the things of God and begin to practice some of these pagan ways. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The ways of the world always lead away from the cross. They always lead away from Jesus. They always circumvent who Jesus is. In belief and action, to be different from the world is to live like Jesus. You see, Jesus described in really intense words why this is so important. He described what will happen to those who decide to have one foot in God's family and one foot in the ways of the world people who decide that that God's ways can be circumvented, that this ultimately leads to demise. We're people that have the freedom of choice. That is such a wonderful gift that God has given to us. And we can live the way we want to live, but but it has consequences. It has consequences. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 21 through 23, the letter to the church of Tyataira continues. And I warn you, this is intense language. And I'll try to unpack it just a little bit. I gave her time to repent. That's speaking of Jezebel. But she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. That means of her, of her wandering away from God, of her leading people to follow other beliefs. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation. In other words, those who... who who practice the same things, who, who, who follow Jezebel and think that, you know what? It's all right to move closer and closer to the ways of the world in order to optimally operate in our society. Unless they repent of her works and I will strike her children dead and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and hearts and I will give to each of you as your works deserve. Make sure that you hear this. One, the reference there is again to the Old Testament. That's why it's important to understand the Old Testament. God is not talking literally about going and finding all these kids and slaughtering them, but rather in the reference to the Old Testament, all of Jezebel's kids were eventually killed. There were 70 of them. They all died, if you continue to read First and 2 Kings. They, they chose the path of their parents and it led to their destruction. And there at the end of, of the scripture, it says, and, know, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart and I will give to each of you according to your works. Make sure that you understand this. This is not about salvation by works. It says, I examine minds and hearts. In other words, God's saying, I know what is in your heart and in your mind. Remember, Thyatira was doing good deeds. So if it was salvation by works, they would be saved by, by their works. Their works were awesome, but their works were ultimately empty if they were not based on being sold out for Jesus. Again, it's combining the church of Ephesus with the church of Thyatira. It's having the passion and the love of Jesus that it drives all your works and following Jesus with all your heart, being committed to his ways and his, his, rule, his laws and his principles while at the same time doing it out of a spirit of love. This is a tough word from Jesus, though. And I know judgment is not a popular topic. And, and the scene opens up with, with it describing God from the book of Daniel and the judgment scenes of Daniel. And then it ends with some very strong language. And judgment, again, is not a popular topic. But God takes this condition of, comprom- of a compromised heart very, very seriously. God wants us to be peculiar. He wants us to be different from the world. People should be able to tell us apart from the world we are living in by our beliefs, by the way we treat other people, by our actions, by the way we love our friends, by the way we love our enemies, by the way we encourage and support one another. By the way, we choose not to lean into the structures and the powers of the world for our answers and for our solutions, but rather we lean into Jesus and into His Word for our power and solutions. In the last days, God's people will be peculiar, not in that they dress funny or that they act odd, or that they speak only in the King James or pray only in the King James language. They'll be peculiar and that they'll stand for God's principles without compromise. In my sermon debrief this upcoming week, I'm going to actually tell you about a pastor that I knew and his church. And what happened when that pastor decided to begin appealing to the world and when the world's Principles took precedent over the Word of God. There was a whole piece written about this, and I'm going to share some of that with you. I hope you tune in to that sermon debrief this week. It comes through our Facebook page or through our weekly update. You can follow along or on our YouTube page. But today, what I want to ask you, what I want to leave you with, and what I want to encourage you with, is this: If you are compromising, if you're compromising in your beliefs, if you're compromising in the way you live, if you're compromising in the way that you treat others, if you're compromising in your love for your family or for those around you, if you're compromising in your own heart and mind, and you know that to be true, even if no one else does. If you're letting the world determine what you believe over God's word, if you're saying it's okay to adjust, Because that is the way I feel, even if the Bible says something different. It's okay to to circumvent God's ways because it'll help me in this area of society. It'll help me in this area of my work or my relationships. Please, please, heed the call of Jesus from the book of Revelation. Repent. Turn away. Let us no longer be Jezebels, let us become the peculiar people of God once again. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are so patient with us. You you call us to repent. You call us to, to turn away from the compromises that have been in our life. Lord, and I know that I have compromises. And Lord, if there's others out there that have compromises as well, convict our hearts Show us, and Lord, give us the courage to turn away from them. Lord, help us to remember that our, that our ultimate blessing, the ultimate joy of our life will not to be that we fit in perfectly with the world, but that we are living by your love and by your grace and to give honor to your love and your grace, Jesus. I pray, Lord, take the Jezebel out of me and make me a peculiar person for you. Take the Jezebel out of all of our hearts, Lord. Search our hearts and our minds and know us, Lord, and give us new hearts, peculiar hearts, hearts that imitate our Savior, Jesus Christ.